0: Hi, this is Vanessa Teohaka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts.
1: I'm Ro Murray, and I'm joined by the very awesome pair Dan Morganti and Mays Wallen. How are you going, guys?
2: Good. How are you?
1: Keeping out of trouble. How's tech been treating you both this week? Fine. I was just talking
2: about my inability to adequately manage my own emails. So I might need to get better at doing that because I am not good at it. Relatable. Very relatable. Yeah. I
0: have many, many categories and things on my emails. I just have
2: inbox, which is not the best way to do it.
0: I'll teach you my ways. Yeah. Padawan. But I also had a wonderful time on Saturday, Em and Andy from True Crime Games, they had an awesome launch party for their new game. So we're going to be hearing about that later as well.
1: Fantastic stuff. Byte's monthly games episode is tonight. Basically, Maze and Dan will be reviewing The Long Dark, a game that uses real time in its storytelling. And we've also got some guests, Em and Andy from True Crime Games, who released the latest Melbourne AR true crime game on the weekend, East Market Murder. And we might move on to some news items.
0: One I wanted to highlight, especially as a union worker and things, is the latest GDC survey. So that's the Game Developers Conference, which is in San Francisco. It's the world's biggest game dev conference. They've done their yearly survey and it's got a couple of interesting stats to do with COVID, but also worker rights. One thing I wanted to highlight was that while higher than last year, 51% of the industry thinks we do need to unionize, while the amount who think we will has gone down 3%. Feedback around the industry has said maybe that decrease has happened because because of the time it's taken to unionise so far. Efforts have been around since about 2017 and we're always used to things happening really rapidly. And then there's been thinking around COVID and people are feeling a little bit less hopeful and a bit more depressed. (laughs) Fancy Um, that. Yeah. 44% of the surveyed industry also reported that their game releases were delayed by COVID. Reasons around some of the funding panic from publishers and platforms, as well as workers having to deal with, yeah, working from home. Home, being really depressed caring for loved ones and generally just dealing mm. while the world is on fire
2: yeah <laughs> are you surprised by those numbers because when I heard that only 51% of people wanted to unionize in the industry I thought that was fairly low
0: I mean it is a global survey so it includes everyone who usually goes to GDC so it's a huge North American contingent mm. who aren't Super great at unionizing, and then also a huge Asian contingent where unions are actually illegal in a lot of those countries. Yeah. So right. yeah, there are some things at play, but here we're doing pretty okay with our unions. We're working what I think is quite quick, but it's hard to know how long things take. The COVID stat of less than half. People having their games delayed. Mm. I think it's interesting. Like, there is a difference between actually doing something and delaying the game, or just for forcing your workers to crunch and get through it and release the game anyway. Yeah. I think, like, 100% of people are affected by COVID.
2: Have you felt the effects of that on your work as something not being able to be released because of COVID or just time pressure because of lack of communication or inability to link up with other people?
0: Yeah, I mean, for us, there's two studios where it's relevant for me. One is Woolfire. For us, we found it took a little while for us to realise that COVID was affecting us. Because we are totally remote anyway, and in a way, some of our governments were supporting us a little bit more during COVID, mostly me, because I'm in Australia while my colleagues are in Sweden in the US, mm. who aren't good examples. <laughs> But then the other studio I worked for, Ghost Pattern, who are in Melbourne, that did kind of put a spin on things because we were all much closer and we were able to kind of talk through our emotions and things like that, but also felt the restrictions of not having an office space and things.
2: Yeah. yeah, for sure. In more gaming news, Microsoft has now reduced the cut that it takes from its online platforms when publishing games. Microsoft took time this morning to reiterate its commitment to gaming on Windows. That started with a blog this morning from Microsoft Studios head, Matt Booty. Booty talked in general terms about what Xbox on PC looks like in the future, but he's also confirmed that the company is reducing its cut of game sales in the Windows Store. Microsoft taking 12% of games is on par with the likes of Epic's Game Store, which all also, only takes twelve percent of the take from sales on their online platform, and it's much more favourable compared to Valve's thirty percent for Steam. Valve takes a reduced twenty percent for games that meet a certain sales threshold, but I imagine it's pretty yeah. difficult for a lot of independent publishers to reach that threshold mm. themselves.
0: It's kind of weird to be taking less from the people who are rich. Yeah, it's kind kind of should be the other way around, shouldn't it?
2: Uh, that's yeah, you would like, in fairness, think that that's the case, but. I think in society that's how it works, right? Yeah, yeah. uh, it never works like that. It's the whole Um,
1: trickle-down theory. Let's kiss the butts of the richest punters and
2: (laughs) – That's it.
1: Hang everyone else out to dry.
2: (laughs) But this is an interesting move from Microsoft because of this whole debacle with what platforms are willing to take from developers and publishers. Epic's first set the trend when they started off their storefront because their market research suggested that Valve wouldn't match them on that percentage price. And there's no real details to show how much damage it has done to Steam, but there is an argument to be made that they've actually put up quite a bit of competition and. Epic and hopefully Microsoft as well uh, able to have successful online stores. And of course, Microsoft as well, integrating their Xbox and Game Pass into Windows as well is another advantage for them in this case. So just more competition to Steam is a good thing, I think. I think it's
0: going to be good for all of us. It's interesting that all of these sort of lawsuits are happening at once also. Epic is currently in court against Apple because they're saying that Apple have an unfair monopoly Mm -hmm. over mobile prices. And then also Wolfie, who I work for, are leading a class, so full disclosure... (laughs) <laughs> um, class action lawsuit against Steam because of their unfair monopolisation of prices, forcing everyone to raise their prices 30%. It's a weird world currently. It mm. is,
1: and isn't it funny how so much of it has to be sort of worked out by lawsuits rather than actually companies going, what's a really sensible approach to this yeah. What's going to maximise competition, benefit the market, maximise overall market sales and engagement? No. No,
2: nah, I think it's See more ab-
1: court chums. Yeah, I think yeah. it's
2: more about uh, what's going to maximise our profits and crush the oppositions. <laughs> yeah, and that's all it comes down you to. Know,
1: speaking of the world on fire and all that. Yeah. <laughs> We did have a bit of an entertaining piece of work from Signal over the last couple of days. For our listeners at home, Signal is a really fabulous messaging app, which is super encrypted, which we love. And they've taken a very delicious shot at Facebook and the good old Pixel advertising ad tracking and have been running some delightful ads. Probably the best way for me to describe it is to read one out to you. You got this ad because you're a newlywed Pilates instructor and you're cartoon crazy. This ad used your location to see you're in La Jolla. You're into parenting blogs and thinking about LGBTQ adoption. So Signal has essentially been running a whole series of targeted ads on Facebook to encourage people to start using their messaging app instead of (laughs) Facebook's and Facebook promptly pulled said ads, which is entertained me no end lovely bit of advertising creative yeah that's
2: fantastic there and there's some great points of data on here like their jobs their location their star sign what they're into sketch comedy and drag racing i imagine car or dress maybe both at the same time drag drag racing Um, (laughs) yeah but yeah it's a really great way to highlight just how much information facebook takes from us yeah. absolutely i
0: think it is the, the Byte team who got me onto signal first we started using it last year for one of our meetups yeah and now i've realized that everyone's on it oh okay i'll catch on yeah. <laughs> absolutely
1: love it this is a podcast from
3: triple r an independent media organization in melbourne australia to find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au.
0: Emma and Andy run the studio True Crime Games, who make AR games based in historical Melbourne. The studio released their first game Mystery on Little Lun, in 2019 and last weekend launched with a party of Penny Farthings, a one-man band, and their latest title, Eastern Market Murder. Welcome, Andy and Emma, to the show. Thanks
4: for having us. Hi, how are you going?
0: It's going so well. Can you tell us a little bit about your new
4: game? Sure. So, Eastern Market Murder is an augmented reality game based on a true crime in Melbourne in 1899. You can play from home or you can actually play in the city where the crimes happened. So starts outside the Melbourne Town Hall and goes to 10 different locations around the city and you investigate a rather fascinating crime, talking to the witnesses who were involved and collecting evidence before confronting the killer at the very end.
0: That sounds amazing. So what year is this set and what is it like researching so far in the past in Melbourne? So it's set in 1899.
4: We had Carly Godden, who does the Dead and Buried podcast. She's amazing. She did all of our historical research for us. Well, we kind of worked together on it and she also co-wrote the script. But it is really fascinating researching something from that era because so few of the buildings remain and the ones that do remain, we take you on a little exploration through those. And luckily, the old little Burke Street Watch House is now Punch Lane Wine Bar, which has really good drinks and food and (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
4: It kind of takes all the seediness from 120 years ago and, and mashes it together with all the good things about Melbourne now.
0: That's such a cool way to initiate. It's about a one-and-a-half-hour walk, isn't it, or exploration? Yeah, so I think it's two-and-a-half kilometres,
4: so it's not that far between the different locations, but once you spend a little bit of time in each one, then, yeah, it takes about an hour to an hour and a half, depending on how quickly you play.
3: Plus, it also depends on how many stops you make, into different cafes and so on.
0: Inside different cafes?
3: If you stop off at other cafes or do different things along the way, it could take a little bit longer.
2: So I played your last game, Misadventures in Little Lawn. How have you learnt from that first experience and how do you implement some new stuff into East Market Murder?
4: What haven't we learnt, Dan?
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's a very different game from the first one. The core principles are the same. It's still augmented reality and you still go and discover new and, well, old, interesting places around Melbourne. But for this game, we were very fortunate at the launch of our first game to meet an amazing guy, Hugh Smith, who'd just moved back from Canada and just has years and years of experience as a game designer, quite a senior game designer. And so he helped us a lot in the early stages. He was a consultant on Eastern Market Murder, and he just flipped everything on its head in terms of the way we were tackling, making the game. He's just been really helpful. I guess he made
3: us think about the game. I mean, this is just the game itself. Thinking about it structurally and a, a bit differently, well, flipping it on its head, we thought about it completely backwards from the way we thought about it the first game. But everything else as well, like not giving ourselves too much to do on the launch day was a really important sort of thing, yeah.
0: That's a good idea. (laughs) You've got to enjoy it. After you've solved mysteries and murders for so long, surely you just must just enjoy the success at the end. Right, yeah. You said that Heath is really experienced. Where do you both sort of come from in your past? How did you get into making... True crime AI games set in Melbourne. Oh,
4: good question, Maze. So I'll toot Andy's on for him, but that doesn't sound very good.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Andy's worked in the games industry for about ten years. He's an old soul in the games industry in Melbourne starting with Blue Tongue and Tantalus back in the 90s I'm gonna say yeah. and then like since then he's worked in other fields as well uh, TV and movies we run our own animation studio before getting into these games and then So we
3: had a sea change and we moved closer to the beach and we started our own animation business and we got asked to do a lot of AR properties in the last five years or so and I think that was the sort of catalyst for us to do AR because I was writing up all these well we were we were writing up all these incredible documents on how we thought this you know you could use your AR property and a lot of people a lot of clients were like either not getting it or just sort of saying oh you know we don't want to go there. So I guess we kind of went, let's make an AR project that we, we would
4: like to play. They were using augmented reality just, like, as video. Like, they may as well have just used video. And we saw the potential and we loved true crime and they you know, were quite fans of history as well. So we sort of smushed all those things together. And then I guess my background is more... Should around, I treat your home? Yeah, I'm,
3: on. Like... I'm <laughs> <then. Fair enough. laughs> have a very experience in the... Uh, corporate sector of marketing oh, yeah. and it's, it's you know they trained her up really well and then when she started working for our business she had to get her hands dirty and as they tell no one like, is that right no my cheating's way better than sorry was,
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> i just gotta say that this is very cute <laughs> is it pretty cool like working together creatively with your partner like this I feel like we're hearing a little bit
3: <laughs> <laughs> can i just say definitely on the second one and it's thanks to Heath who has really sort of helped us make decisions
4: he was like a marriage counselor as well cuz the whole <laughs> way through the first game we pretty much just fought over oh, uh, like what we wanted in the game cuz i that wanted one? to just like kill each other some of the time but this time it was amazing killing anyway, <laughs> It's it's challenging, maze, but also can be fantastic and this time around it's been so much smoother and I guess we just appreciate each other's skills and different Mm -hmm. things that we bring to the table. And I think any time we had a disagreement on something, we would always
3: ask Keith (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Gillis. My third neutral party.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So you were just talking earlier about the company's not getting the full scope of what AR can do. Can you just give us a little bit of a run-through of what you can do with AR that you can't do with traditional video games? Well, I don't think it's about
3: the... uh, It's not comparing AR to traditional video games. I think it's more that people saw AR as placing an item in the real world and walking around it, Mm. whereas coming from a video game background, I saw the potential for interacting with that object in our case, characters and items that you might pick up and give. And so, you know, we wanted to sort of have a bit more of a visceral kind of contact with our characters. Mm. And in, in
4: this game, Dan, we've recreated the entire crime scene, basically. So it was at the old Eastern Market from 1899. If you go there now, if you play in Melbourne, just like concrete and steel glass kind of skyscraper, There's sort of slight architectural kind of similarities between the original Eastern market, but you just wouldn't recognise the place at all. But if you're looking through your phone, you can see Meadows phrenology shop, and not only can you just see it and talk to Constable Wolgers who's standing outside, but you can walk in and around his office, and he had a picture of Crank Butler, the first serial killer in Australia, on his wall, so... That's ooh. on his wall. That's an nice answer, um, by the way. Ooh, that's nice an <laughs> <laughs> And then you turn around and you're looking the other way out the door into the real world and it's just, uh, it makes my head spin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: but, I mean, like, I think, you know, the thing that we really wanted to do with it in terms of aligning it with what current games can do is we want to interact with characters. We want to kind of give and take things and really push the case, I guess, and hopefully we did that a bit better on this one than we did on the first one.
0: There aren't that many games that are set in Australia. It's sort of catching up in the last five years or so, but some games have been pretty problematic as well. Have you found much support for having a game set in such a specific place and here of all places? How has that affected your storytelling or the support or anything? Mm. From
4: the funding and government support, Film Vic has been amazing. They've just been so helpful and they gave us development funding for this game and launch funding as well and launch funding for the first game. So I think it's a pretty compelling story and pitch, really, to film BIC and the City of Melbourne as well. They supported our launch event. So they want to tell the stories. They want to tell Australian stories, so that's fantastic. I think where it's a little bit more challenging is convincing people in the rest of the world to play an Australian game and to not see it as super niche and localised. But we did have a really good chat with a guy in L.A. today who's interested in telling some stories and some true crimes from L.A. So I guess they're worth slowly getting out there.
2: So we've seen a couple of murders that your studio has brought to life. Have you got your eye on any <laughs> other murders? Oh, it's all
3: about the murders, <laughs> Damn
1: straight. <laughs> <That's break. the laughs>
3: that yeah, that's the thing that makes, like, you know, newspaper headlines so... We'll probably, I don't know, we'll stick with that. (laughs) I'm not sure if I want to cover a robbery yet. Yeah.
4: Yeah, We haven't haven't got anything specific yet because I guess we've just been putting out everything into getting this Second game, Eastern Market Murder, finished and out there. But we met some fascinating people at our launch events, a lady that worked at the coroner's court and an archaeologist from San Francisco. There's so many stories out there and it's just getting the right ones that work in this context. Yeah, right. And I
3: think what we're striving to do as well is to try to make a little bit more of a framework of a type of play style that we like so that we could potentially take any story and it within
0: the framework. Yeah, right. Um, so it might become like easier, well, not mm-hmm. easier, but more straightforward to develop the next games.
3: Yeah. yeah, Fingers crossed. Yeah. I
0: mean. <laughs> Speaking of that, how long has it taken? Was this one quicker than Little Lawn? How long does it actually take? <laughs> it probably
4: would have been quicker had there not have been a massive pandemic mm-hmm. and three of our kids that needed homeschooling. So <laughs> it probably took about a year and a half, but there was a good five months of just being totally bewildered in, in the <laughs> middle, so that probably slowed us down a bit. I mean, given any amount of time,
3: I think we would have used every second of it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. so it, it wouldn't. doesn't feel like in the last month that we went had any time to sort of go, OK, let's take a break. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was quite for one at the end, but yeah. We got there.
0: <laughs> to close out, can you tell us one of your favourite characters without spoiling too much, for us to look forward to when we start playing your game? One each? Oh, well, if you must, yes. <laughs> Why not? I mean <laughs> we get through, right? <laughs> well, I think my
4: favourite is probably Annie. Annie was the fortune teller in the story and it was her husband that was murdered. And we've been working with Annie's descendants the whole way through Annie and Frank's descendants so to be able to tell their story Amy Smith was the voice actress for Annie and she just did such a phenomenal job she was crying during the recording and I was crying because she was crying (laughs) it was just a really heartfelt the whole way through the voice and Mm -hmm. finding out about their family history and having mm. the great-great-granddaughter of Annie sending me pictures of this mourning pendant that she received, which is a gift in the Victorian era that people gave to people who were grieving. Just that level of detail. Yeah, I love Annie.
2: Yes,
3: me, me too. Well, the first character that comes to my mind is Friedman. It's, it's because he has this really interesting two sides about him, is that he would consider himself one of the best friends of the killer. But Ooh. in the same hand, he's such an honest guy. He tells the coroner and the police everything he knows about what happened, which basically partially turned him in,
4: mm. right?
3: And then he friend under the bus. Yeah, he yeah. but you know, he didn't think he did that. So, you know, yeah. you know, just giving his accounts of exactly what happened. And then also on top of that, the voice actor, Stephen, is just a friend of our sound person, one of our... Well, Sienna, they worked together on that right? Yeah. She said, you should hear Stephen's voice. Once we heard it, we were like, perfect.
4: That's and then when so you cool. First met
3: him, we were like, you are
4: Friedman, you know? Oh, and don't, and that's Friedman, a bit. <laughs> Friedman in real life 120 years ago was awarded 300 pounds for his bravery, which is an absolute crap ton of money back it's then. He money back then,
1: my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. Mm. Yeah, And I can't believe neither of us said Medor, who is the murderer, and just Bernard Callio who is the voice of him, just did such an incredible job. Like, he freaks us out.
0: (laughs) It's really interesting. Do you know what the Australian accent was like then, 120 years ago?
4: We just guessed. Just
3: guessed. (laughs) Awesome. We found found it hard to even find, like, the eye colour of people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, we down.
0: <laughs> yeah. amazing yes. the kind of detail <laughs> you could go to <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, i guess we thought we
4: knew where people were born so if they were born in australia we gave them more of an australian tinge but if they were born in england or wales or somewhere like that then they had more of the british side but bernard did such an incredible job with Meadows' voice acting that he sort of has like a slightly British accent the whole way through, but then one bit where he, like... Oh, I can't give too many spoilers (laughs) away, but he goes into more of an Australian accent, and I just feel like Meador has... uh, He's got, like, his guard up the entire time and he's trying to sort of have a certain persona of this educated man of science phrenology, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to have that, like, glimpse of what he was really like... When his accent kind of dropped off a little bit, I just thought it was so perfect. <laughs>
3: and I think 120 years ago, as an Australian nation, we're probably closer connected to the British, so we might have had mm. a little bit more of a
2: tinge there mm. as well. It
4: sounds- Everyone sounded like Hugh Grant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: sounds like we've got quite the experience on our hands where can people check this out
4: so you can download Eastern market murder on the app Store or Google Play and you can play from home or anywhere in the world but if you wanted to play on the streets of Melbourne you just head to the Melbourne Town hall and it guides you through the city from there that's, that's the premium experience on the doesn't any
2: anymore having played misadventure on little lawn I would say that that's the primo way to play it so if you're in Melbourne give it a go Emma and Andy thanks so much for Coming on the show. It's been great having you on. Thank you. Awesome.
1: Thanks for having us. Thanks so
3: much. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform.
1: And now, Dan and Mays, you've got some reviews to deliver.
0: Yes. So I personally apologise. I had a bit of a weird mind blank when organising this, I'm going to be reviewing The Longing, which has just come out on Switch. The Long Dark also looks like an awesome game, and it sounds awesome too, but The Longing has just come out on Switch, and it's a real-time based game where you play this little sketchy cartoon dude waiting for 400 days in this warren of caves for this statue of a god to stop snoring and wake up.
2: The role you're given when the game starts is you're basically conjured into existence to wake this guy up after 400 days of him sleeping. For some reason. Yeah, and he's a king made of clay almost, like made yeah. of dirt and clay. And it's quite an interesting way to start the game. You just conjure it into existence and then yeah. you've got to wake him in 400 hours. And, of course, the main...
0: 400 days.
2: 400, Sorry, 400 days. Is <laughs> significantly longer than 400 hours, which is the main selling point of this game. That 400 days takes place in real time so whether you have the game open or not, that 400 days will pass
0: Yeah, which was really good oh, I was wondering and about that We really mean real lifetime and I'd heard about this game before because these time-based games is something that indie games has been experimenting for a little while every now and then they come up and people are like, yeah, just let me chill out but I never ended up getting it until it came out on Switch and I was like, yeah, I want this small package and I want to be able to, like, check in on my little dude, Mm. you know. And I think it's been really good on Switch for that reason. So I've only played for a little bit over a week and I'm still collecting my little pieces of art, because time goes faster in the presence of great art. Yes,
2: absolutely. (laughs) And in the game, it does too. You make art and you make your little hovel a little bit more cosy and time will pass a little bit faster for you.
0: Really small amount faster.
2: Yeah, (laughs) very small. It still takes a very long time to get to the end of the game. But part of the charm of this game is it's called a shade, not the shade or anything. It's a shade, meaning that there is Possibly many of you, and has been many of you in the past, which I found was a nice little part of the game. But your little home, you find clay and chalk and stuff around. Yeah,
0: little minerals and materials.
2: Yeah, to make your own art. And you can layer those different colours of chalk and materials to make different art, and that's what makes time go faster. And also, another way to make time go faster is to read the entire 1,200 pages of Moby Dick, which is present it
0: is 1, pages in the,
2: in the game. Yeah. So
1: that explains some of your tweets this afternoon, boys. Yeah. I was so,
0: fascinated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's,
1: uh, Tweet out of context here, but
0: yeah, yes, it involves
1: long reading whale books. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, I really thought so. Yeah, it, it must be because Moby Dick is out of copyright or something. But it would be I... in
2: the creative commons. Oh, yeah. Because games before – sorry, games. Anything bef- published or created before, I think it's 19 – twenty one or something is I believe, yeah, in, I believe it's hundred years In mm. Creative Commons, yeah. Which yeah. that's another conversation altogether because Disney keeps screwing uh,
0: that up. <laughs> yeah,
2: fighting the fight to make sure that Mickey Mouse remains in their copyright. Yeah, yeah
0: I opened this little book mm. and I was like, hang on, twelve hundred pages is this is this all of Moby Dick? And mm. so you also saying that you can make it in idle mode. I didn't even mm. see that. I was just like I could read all of Moby Dick in this <laughs> in <Yeah>. this game,
2: <laughs> so what i what I did was i I set my little guy to open the book and then quit the game, and when I came back, he was hundred pages into the book, so he was getting through it. I mean quicker <laughs> than I'm going ever going to get through Moby Dick. I'm never reading twelve hundred pages of that
0: It's not an easy book to read no, either. No. It's not. Yeah, Not
2: at all. Yeah, but what have been some of your favorite experiences with the game? Because it is, I would say, contemplative is a word that I use to describe the longing.
0: Yeah, I guess I liked making little tootie noises on my little instrument. That was pretty fun. Yeah. Because we're so lucky here at Byte, we got a little press map when the game came out. And so eventually I was like, oh God, it's finding it really hard to find new places. So I had a little wander around, but yeah, I don't know. One cool thing also is that, like the different music in each of the rooms can be quite dramatically different also. That has been pretty cool.
2: Yeah. And you were talking about the map. My favourite part is I left it just running in the background while I was playing other games or (laughs) like with Browse Reddit and just leave it on and send him to a location. And I like that it's tagged as an idle game because it Mm. is a little bit meta in that way that it's commenting on idle games where the point of idle games is to be fast-paced. Traditional idle game design has been fast-paced, but also you're not playing the game. And so it kind of... Yeah, or you're
0: just like, you know, spamming buttons. Yeah. Making cookies. Disappear
2: yeah, <laughs> yes. So if you're familiar with Cookie Clicker, it's lambasting that a little bit, but in the opposite way where your character, Ushade moves really slowly. It takes forever for him to get anywhere. Oh, his uh, little
0: plotty feet though. Didn't yeah. you just love the sound of his little feet in the slightly damp dirt just going...
2: Yeah. Really, <laughs> really slowly. And he kind of looks like Dobby fell into a fireplace.
0: Very sooty. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. You were talking about the map earlier. There was a point where I left him in the map room without realizing if you're in the map room, the game zooms out on the main screen and will show you the entire map or at least the sections that you've explored. Mm. I found that really interesting that it didn't directly tell me that that would happen if you were there, but Mm. if you leave it long enough, hence the idle game part of uh, the game, that it would expand the map and, you know, show you stuff like that. Yeah, real
0: test in patience.
2: Yeah. How far are you into your timeline of 400 days?
0: I think it's like 20 days. I haven't (laughs) (laughs) haven't sped it up that much.
2: I decided to wait the full 400 days because I read that there are ways to escape or other ways, other endings, there's about five endings, um, I'm led to believe. But I thought I would do the the full 400 days and see what that ending's like. So having sped the game up a little bit by creating some art in my studio and leaving him to sit there in his um, armchair and read Moby Dick... I'm about 300 days in. Once wow. it gets to that 400 days, I'll talk to the king. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, when I was tweeting about Moby Dick in this game, <laughs> one of my friends, Megan O'Neill, who have also covered some of her amazing music, and she also writes for PC Gamer as well, she replied, oh, I think I played that game a little bit over a year ago. And I replied, open it, open it, open it, open it, open it, open it. And she did, and she refuses to tell me what has happened. Oh,
1: <laughs> that is unconscionable.
0: Yeah. I know. And I like,
1: we could have oh. had the biggest spoiler alert for, for the Bite Into It show tonight.
0: Yeah. Oh, no. People didn't turn off. Yeah. <laughs> no, she refuses, and I'm a little bit tempted. You know, Dan, you've said that there's five endings. I didn't even realize that. They're probably on YouTube.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Don't you dare.
2: Finish, oh. <laughs> I, would, I would recommend finishing the game and then looking them up, uh, seeing the ones that you weren't able to see in the time, but I've heard some of them are a bit bleak and some of them are quite uplifting and so there's a wide spectrum of emotions that you can go through with the ending of this game, I think.
0: It's about 20 bucks on Steam yep. and good old games, so if you're on PC or Mac, you can grab it there. And on Switch, it's also around 20 bucks. And
1: so Sounds think... like a perfect Switch game.
0: I um, Yeah, I man. think so too. Yeah. awesome. So, another reason to put the switch back in my bag so I can check on my guy.
2: Something to check in with before you go to bed or mm. just check in with before you play another game or something like that. Really so nice. wholesome. Yeah. It's a really nice game. <laughs> Absolutely love
0: that. Hi, this is Vanessa DeHolker. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or bite into its Twitter or Facebook accounts.